Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So a University of Virginia lacrosse player was sentenced to 23 years in prison for the murder of his girlfriend. Both had been binge drinking, and the lacrosse player says he's innocent. And uh, some odd things happened prior to um, the trial. Uh, George Hughley, I think that's the correct way to pronounce his name. Now, binge drinking at universities has been in the news, of course, since Brock Turner made international headlines when the Stanford University student was stopped in the act of raping an unconscious woman who was said to have been at a um, a binge drinking at a party. Joining us on the show is Matthew D. Green. He's the lawyer who represents the University of Virginia lacrosse player, George Hughley, who was convicted of uh, the murder of his girlfriend, Yearly Love. Uh, Mr. Green, thank you very much for the time. Am I pronouncing uh, your client's name correctly? Uh, yes, you are, and thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you. Now, we're all aware of the Brock Turner case, and Stanford University uh, student who sexually assaulted a young woman, too drunk to properly comprehend what was happening to her, um, and certainly too, young, too drunk to defend herself. Turner was stopped in the act of raping this young woman by two university students, received that outrageously short sentence of six months. He blames the situation on binge drinking. And Stanford University took steps this week, which the university claims will help lessen the chaotic reality of binge drinking. Stanford effectively banning undergraduates from drinking any spirits on campus and banning graduate students from drinking hard liquor at campus parties unless they mix their drinks. So that's been derided by um, by m- many students and declared as um, totally a in a in a, you know, ineffective or ineffective by others. Before we speak about your client and his prison sentence and what took place, which led to the murder conviction, please speak to the issue of binge drinking at universities. Well, um, you know, obviously I think the vast majority of college students in the United States and Canada uh, do not have drinking problems. Most of them probably do not drink to excess regularly, but We've certainly all seen enough headlines that it is a real issue, and I think colleges are correctly being proactive about it. And obviously the Brock Turner case, uh, absolute horrific crime uh, with the sentence not commiserate with the crime. Um, And, you know, unfortunate that a young man who who may or may not have had a binge drinking problem but is using that as some kind of an excuse uh, for his own intentional acts. And, um, and, you know, you can see why Stanford wanted to do something. Now, whether or not they this is the correct response, that's certainly subject to debate. Yeah. One of the Stanford students says the problem isn't the binge drinking culture. The problem is the rape culture. How, do, how does the law treat young people, university students, who commit serious crimes while under the influence of alcohol? Is that ever a consideration for the um, for courts? Uh, well, I, I mean, it, it can if somehow the fact of the drunkenness is one of the factors that um, goes into usually the sentence. Uh, typically, that's not going to be a factor 
in whether someone's guilty or not. Being drunk is not a defense uh, to, to a specific crime, but it can in some states be a factor in the sentence the individual would receive. All right, Mr. Green, tell us about your client, Mr. Hughley, and you can go to the web uh, website, truthforgeorge.com. He's in prison following the death of the fellow student, his girlfriend. Uh, I understand they had an on-and-off relationship at the University of Virginia. Um, she was Hughley Love, and she and Mr. Hughley um, had grown, had a relationship that was said to have grown increasingly tumultuous. What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, that is with a lot of uh, older adolescents, college students um, starting to have serious relationships for the first time, there can be a lot of what people will use the term drama. Uh, George and Yardley, it was certainly true in their case. Uh, and, you know, they never had any kind of physical violence or anything like that. But when one or both of them were drunk, they at times would have heated words and frankly have conversations that uh, could be labeled as petty or immature. May 2nd, 2010, your client and Ms. Love had been drinking, I understand, but not at the same place. So what condition were they in when they met, when they met up? Uh, well, uh, we, we know Yardley's condition quite well because uh, she passed away two hours after their encounter, and the autopsy report shows a blood alcohol content of 0.18, which in the Commonwealth of Virginia where this took place is over twice the legal limit to operate a motor vehicle. Uh, Mr. Hughley, by all accounts, had had somewhere over 40 alcoholic beverages in the 30 hours before this event. It includes both the night before him sleeping off some of it, waking up still drunk, continuing to drink all day. His blood alcohol content was somewhere north of 0.35. So they both were highly intoxicated, and, and he was off the charts intoxicated. What happened uh, that day? How, how did they get together, and how did the day end, according to your client? And, and how would he know how the day ended if he was that intoxicated? Right. Well, we actually have a very detailed timeline of his, his events because he was uh, almost never alone that entire time. So his roommates and, and teammates and people he was with describe him drinking, describe him drunk all day. Uh, there was a very brief time where a couple of his roommates he was with, it was about 15 minutes, they actually left to go buy more beer, left him at the apartment. We know that he then went uh, to the uh, apartment building that was just a block, or half, sorry, half a block away where his girlfriend lives. The lady that lived in the apartment below hers saw him enter her apartment, saw her, her, him leave eight minutes later, and during that eight minutes, the only sound she heard was an extremely loud thud, which she described as a heavy bookcase hitting the floor. Uh, when the police arrived, there was no indication of any overturned furniture. The, the apartment was essentially very neat. The only thing was there was a, a Yardley Love who had passed away. What we think happened was the two of them were having, uh, you know, an emotional conversation on her bed. At some point, they fell together and landed on the floor with, unfortunately, 220 pounds of George Hughley landing on Yardley Love's head. The facial injuries to her head are very limited. There's essentially one on the right side of her chin and then a second one to the right eye socket. Um, They typically wouldn't think of them as fatal injuries and not the type of injuries that you would sustain if someone had intentionally struck you. Uh, But we think somewhere in that those, those injuries caused um, small amounts of bleeding, hemorrhaging inside the brain. 
George didn't appreciate the fact that, that this individual had suffered life-threatening injuries, puts her back in the bed and leaves her, and unfortunately she expires about two hours later. The amount of alcohol that they had both consumed, she was 0.18, he's 3.35. I don't know how... I don't know how Mr. Hughley, your client, stayed on his feet, was able to be, you know, mobile with that level, that amount of alcohol. But he's at the apartment. They have those eight minutes together. There's a loud thud, as you explained. They were on the bed, and you surmise that they fell off the bed, and he fell on top of Ms. Yardley or Ms. Love, and and she subsequently died because blood vessels were broken in the brain, and that's what took her life. When police arrived at the apartment to talk to your client, and took him to the police station. How did that go? Well, uh, um, he had gone back to his own apartment um, and had an interaction with his roommate. He then goes to bed for the uh, evening. About six hours later, they come. They tell him they're investigating an assault. Uh, he agrees you know, voluntarily to go to the police station. Uh, they ask him, point blank, you know, what happened, what he remembered. He uh, waived his right to an attorney. He gave a statement for well over an hour. They videotaped all of it. Uh, you know, he, fr- he frankly, to the extent he remembered things, he told them there were a few things based on his degree of intoxication he was had a fuzzier memory on, but he, he admitted that he'd been there, uh, admitted, uh, you know, they'd been on the bed and then they fell to the floor. Uh, and then after they get all the information they're looking for, they tell him that he's dead. And it's quite clear that uh, his reaction, uh, you know, he had no idea that she sustained any kind of fatal injury. It's complete shock, disbelief. He cries uh, upon learning that, that she's passed away. Um, so that's how it went. So uh, then later there was an affidavit which went to media. There was a, an issue with that. There was a Q&A session between the media and the chief of police both of which I believe you argue hardly uh, accurately and ultimately represented the interests of your client. Right. Well, I, I don't know why the, the, the chief Longo, the chief of the police at the time for the city of Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, he went on the media within about 12 hours uh, of George's interview and said that it was the worst crime scene he'd ever seen. Uh, we now know he never once went to Yarley Love's apartment um, there was a, a big description, um, I don't know, if somehow falsely leaked to, leaked to the media that this somehow had been a bloody crime scene. It was not a bloody crime scene. The injuries that killed her uh, were not bloody. Uh, she did lightly tear her upper lip, uh, but it was primarily saliva uh, mixed with a small amount of blood that was on her pillowcase and essentially just there. Uh, the media was really hamstrung in reporting this because within the first 24 hours, the prosecutor elected to the entire record. So they were left with very false and incomplete initial information and really nothing in addition for the next two years before it went to trial. So, and we have about two minutes here. In February 2012, Mr. Hughley is convicted of second-degree murder. He'd been charged with first-degree murder, sentenced to 23 years in prison. Just months later, the parents of Ms. Love launch the $30 million wrongful death civil suit against Mr. Hughley. And as I understand, in the last year and a half, uh, Mrs. Love, the mother of Yardley Love, filed a brief in court stating she believes Mr. Hughley had no intention of harming her daughter. How does this all fit? Well, I, I, I mean, I think uh, Yardley Love's mother, Sharon Love, gets it exactly right. Uh, I mean, there's no evidence that this was an intentional act. 
In addition, George was so unbelievably drunk, as you and I have discussed, his ability to really understand his actions uh, is highly questioned. George would be the first to tell anyone that he's legally responsible for what happened, both in a criminal context and a civil context. But there's a difference between, say, manslaughter and intentional murder, and we think these actions uh, are clearly manslaughter. Sharon loves Sharon Love seems to agree with that. Um, I think, you know, she would have to speak for herself, but George is the beneficiary of a $6 million insurance policy. And that insurance coverage will be there if this is determined to be an accident. If the determination is that this is an intentional criminal act, there would be no insurance coverage. All right. Now, the 30 seconds we have left, what happens now? Does this all somehow come full circle to engaging college binge drinking as an issue again? Uh, well, I mean, we'll have a civil trial. A second jury will have a chance to look at the facts. And, um, you know, George is certainly drunk. That will play a role in their determination. But, you know, ultimately, if you get drunk, you're, you're responsible for those actions. And, and I don't think, um, I mean, George, George would agree with that. Uh, Mr. Green, thank you very much for sharing the time. It's a, it's a disturbing story. It's a s- sad story. And uh, someone died, and we'll see how this how this progresses. There's a message here as well. Thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it.